Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. That means it's time for the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. Uh, yeah, uh, tonight you get Mike and Mike, a double Mike episode. Uh, January is, is winding down. It's been a bit of a mild winter here in the Northeast, Mike. Would you agree? Definitely. I mean, we had we had some cold days, but there hasn't been any snow at all. You know, zero snow, which is weird for almost February in New York. Um, doesn't happen a lot. Who knows what February and March will bring? But I, I, you know, people get mad at me when I say this, but you know, I, I would like to see some snow. And they say, well, you say that because you don't have a car. But, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. Car, no car. I, I still would like to see some snow this winter, you know? Remember that blizzard we had like a few years ago? Mm-hmm. That was brutal, yeah. man. That, that was brutal, yes. But it's it's appropriate, though. You're not supposed to have these days where every day feels like October and November in January, you know? No, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, things are good. You know, I uh, I, I am caught up on my my two episodes which i re-watched because i enjoyed them so much of the last of us michael i have you to it? yeah well, well I, it, today's sunday that when they're yes. recording this so i have to say that i'm really looking forward to watching episode three yeah big time big time um yeah, listeners, if you if you're not checking it out, uh, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, if you think it's oh, it's another zombie thing or whatever, or we've seen this before, I I do not think you've seen this before, and uh, it, it is excellent television horror. Um, I don't, I mean, calling it excellent television horror, I don't even think is even good enough. Uh, it's just excellent horror. Period. No. Yeah, you know, and, and I didn't know much about the game. Like I've said before, I, I haven't really been playing games for like mm -hmm. at least 10 years. Right. And, um, you know, it's when I first heard about it, I was like, ah, a video game. But then I, mm. I started seeing like trailers for it and like little teasers. And I was like, man, I got it. This looks actually looks pretty good. So yeah, it turned out to be really good. Whereas episode one, I felt had that was very creepy and. You know, it had the excellent build up at the beginning and all that. I thought episode two was just genuinely like scary, uh, especially at the, the latter end when uh, a certain character doesn't make it out, uh, which I won't say. Um, you know, I, I thought that entire scene in like the the hotel and 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 you know, in the guts of Boston because it takes place in Boston um, was just fucking fantastic, man. And and. It just it, it keeps me on the edge of my seat, honestly. Like it, it really does. I mean, I don't know, you know, not blowing smoke up the the listeners' butts, but it, it is just super enjoyable thus far, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I I'm all in. I'm all in on this, man, for sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. In a way, I feel like uh, this might have inspired us for doing tonight's episode. Yes. It kind of sort of has, <laughs> but we'll get into that momentarily. Um, before we go anywhere, uh, if you're a new listener or an old listener, at the beginning of the show, we like to uh, give the plugs of the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And Mike, just a little, little bit about what the Horsemen of the Apocalypse are. Well, over the last couple of years, there's this um, 
you know, a bunch of different people started doing podcasts and mm -hmm. we all sort of connected very organically just over yeah. um, a common interest in really quality music, movies, and, mm -hmm. and just being cool people too. So uh, yeah, and and honestly, uh, social media itself, uh, you know, plays a part in it. I mean, can't, can't deny that. No, um, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, exactly. And also, just you know, I got to say, got to also mention that the pandemic probably <laughs> is uh, part partly responsible for us, uh, you know, finding each other too. You know, yeah. Definitely, one one hundred percent. So, uh, who do we have on Mondays, Michael? On Monday, we have Horror Wolf six six six, which is, uh, as you guessed by the name, another horror podcast brought to you by Brandon Legion, and his mm -hmm. show is focused on interviews with uh, luminaries within the horror industry, and they're filmmakers, <laughs> actors. Uh, sometimes me and you show up on there. We talk, we talk about yeah. horror movies. You know, it's, it's, I uh, believe uh, my episode is this week. It might even be out there by the time uh, you're hearing it, dear listeners. So please check that episode out at the very least. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on Mondays, we've got Horror Wolf 666. On Tuesdays, we have none other than uh, my personal favorite metal music podcast, Into the Necrosphere. Right, Michael? back after yes. a little bit of a uh, vacation and uh, yeah yeah so back and by the time you hear this you probably will have heard the wrap-up of uh the into the necrosphere best of 2023 and uh, correct 2022 yes so i'm sorry yeah 2022 we're in 2023 right now so uh, yeah yeah and uh that should be um your guide to uh incredible metal records really yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, do I like everything on his list? No. Have I heard of everything on his list? No. But um, a bunch of it I certainly have heard of, and I certainly enjoyed the hell out of in 2022. So, um, yeah, very solid stuff. Uh, coming to you on Wednesday, of course, none other than Mike Hill's own Everything Went Black podcast, which is a a bit of a smorgasbord of, uh, of different things. It can be about music. It can be about issues of the day. It could be about anything, right, Michael? Pretty much, you know, and that was the, uh, you know, I, I've been doing that for a long time, and it was just kind of this attempt at doing a podcast, and then, you know, just sort of a learning experience, and it's been a lot of fun. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's a really good group of people on there who've been following it for a number of years, and... Uh, you know, we all stay mm -hmm. in touch. It's really, it's been a lot of, a lot of fun. Yes, good stuff. Uh, on Thursday, while you're listening to it right now, the Necromaniacs podcast coming to you every single Thursday with Mike Hill, myself, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. So please continue your listenership on Thursdays. Um, coming to you currently on Sunday, Mike, is break the apocalypse. However, I was informed with today's episode uh, that they are going back to Fridays. Mike, how about that? I like it better on Friday, actually. Yes, I do as well. Uh, so I am glad they are going back <laughs> to the Friday format. Uh, that's my brother John Draper. Uh, 
It's a really cool podcast if you're into uh, comedy and, you know, issues of the day, different stuff. They talk about horror, too, on that podcast. They talk about music. They talk about a bunch of different stuff. So check that out, Break the Apocalypse. And we have one more podcast to plug, right, Michael? Yeah, we got Soul Knox on Sunday, which is uh, hosted by Carl Hikara. And mm-hmm. he has a, a bit of a pretty wide bandwidth of stuff that he talks about. A lot of it has to do with the occult and, uh, you know, esoteric stuff like that. He has guests. Um, I actually have been on. We have this almost, I'm like a semi-regular guest. Yes, actually. you are. And uh, <laughs> uh, Carl and I get together and we talk about, um, you know, weird fiction and uh, sword and sorcery and like Robert E. Howard stories and things like that. So, um, yeah, every maybe once a month I'll be on there. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Carl's an interesting, interesting guy. Definitely check yes, it out. He is indeed. And those are your horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse, uh, all of your needs. Uh, make sure you check everybody out. If you're listening to any of these podcasts on Apple, leave a nice review. Hit that hit that five-star, four-star, whatever star review that's there, you know. Hook everybody up. Um, Mike, you do anything over this past weekend? Um, well, I um, didn't really do much. I had a lot of uh, technical stuff that I had to deal with. Um, I'm uh, going to be recording a, uh, a side project next weekend up in Boston. It's an mm. as-yet-unnamed side project. Ah, I'm it's, not even aware of this. Yeah, yeah, I've been working on it for like the last couple months, and um, it features me and one of my old drummers, Brian Strawn. Mm. And uh, yeah, we played together way, 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 way back in a band called Otis, which most people don't even know. Yes, about. I and, remember that name. Yes, and um, Brian, Brian has been very busy in a weird way over the last couple of decades, just doing session work and playing on other people's records and things like that. And uh, we ran into each other last year when we played in Providence and um, mm-hmm. he came out to the show and we just were like back in touch again. And we had a bunch of stuff we were talking about doing. So next weekend we're going to, you know, go in the studio and record four songs. And uh, I was working on you know, prep this week uh, working on, you know, Tombs is working on some new material for you know, record. And uh, we got about five songs. So just working on demos, just doing that kind of thing. That's great. Uh, yeah, Tombs is always always a step ahead, Michael. I've always said that about you guys. Always a step ahead. You well, know? yeah, we had a... <laughs> it seems like every excellent thing as far as touring has been postponed for us right now. So um, we had, uh, we had a really cool tour that we were about to announce in uh for june but that had to get postponed and uh there was a great tour last year that got postponed till this uh fall and uh mm-hmm. but you know and you and i talked online about it there's some cool stuff that we have in the works for june as far as the live front goes but right now yeah. it's just like you know writing and writing new material yeah man pick up the pieces and, and keep it moving exactly yeah um, I, I'll have a, a nice little announcement, uh, March 7th, Michael, um, that I can't really talk about just yet. Um, I've kind of sort of talked about it in other places already, but I'm just kind of keeping it under wraps. So keep the eyes peeled on the socials for a little March 7th announcement. Um, but anyway, uh, last night Stella and I went to St. Vitus 
to see uh, a hardcore show. We saw uh, two of the Hudson Valley's finest, uh, Age of Apocalypse and Mind Force. Um, Mind Force are just kind of like on fire. They are uh, this band. Uh, they've had, you know, put out their second LP last fall. They sold out two shows at Vitus in the same day, like immediately, Mike, which is no small feat. Yeah, no, that's that's sick, man. That's, I I don't know who this band is, but that's uh, a very very cool thing, you know. Yeah, they're. I mean, look, I, you know, I, I've been involved in the hardcore scene now thirty five years, uh, and um, for a long time it took me a while to enjoy new hardcore. Like I just wasn't into a lot of new hardcore because I just didn't think the bands were very good to my ears. But in the last two years in particular, a lot of new hardcore has been clicking with me. And this band is, is one of them. Um, they definitely uh, are in the vein of the first two leeway LPs. Uh, definitely some, some uh, beyond the, the New York beyond that was around the late eighties, maybe a little bit of uh, inside out. You know, the California, Zach De La Rocha, Inside Out. Just really good metallic hardcore uh, done well by the guys of Mind Force. Uh, Age of Apocalypse are a younger band than those guys. And honestly, they sound a lot like um, early Only Living Witness meets oh. the first Life of Agony record. That's okay. kind of what they sound like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. The singer sings. There's no screaming. He he sings and he sings in an interesting register. Right? Literally, some of it sounds like Candlemas at times. So it's it, but to, but to like metal hardcore music. So it's kind of you know to me it's got the the originality factor going for them. That's uh, Age of Apocalypse. Uh, I've I've seen them three times already, so I'm a fan. Uh, cool show. So that that's what uh, I did over the weekend. That's awesome. I haven't been to, uh, well, that's not true. I was going to say I haven't been to Vitus in a minute, but the last time I was there, I saw you guys and uh, at that yeah. uh, sev uh, not, nah, Seventh Void, uh, Silver Tomb. Silver Tomb, yeah, Silver Silver Tomb, Tomb show. show. Yeah. That was a good time. Yeah, that was but, a lot of um, fun. Yeah, this, this coming weekend, I guess the, the weekend by the time this goes out there, um, All Out War and Morpheus Descends and Disassociate are playing next Sunday evening, so uh, I'll definitely be trotting out there to that so that should be fun there's a chance i might make it in for that too actually uh -huh. yes we'll, we'll do a sunday night hang we'll do a saturday on sunday all right <laughs> that's what i like to call it yeah but uh listeners uh tonight we're going back to the 80s we're going back to the mid 80s 1985 in particular and we will be discussing the george romero classic day of the dead right mike that's correct and uh yeah I, I feel like the beginning the very beginning of the first episode of the last of us mm -hmm. has a very romero-esque kind of vibe and i think that put this uh in our minds i think to do this one yeah absolutely um and we mean that in the best way uh see that's the thing i feel like if there's anybody that's maybe even a little reluctant for the last of us, because it's like, Oh, I've seen the walking dead and I've seen the Romero's. Um, honestly, 
I almost feel like it's night and day, uh, you know, um, the influences are there, you know, from the Romero stuff, that, but it's a different animal. Um, but I think over the course of the years we've done this podcast, um, we've never discussed this particular film, although we, we've it's been referenced. Right. And it's been, you know, talked about in passing. But Mike and I are both really big fans of Day of the Dead. So that's kind of how we landed on that for tonight. Right. Well, the funny thing, too, Mike, is that uh, I um, was convinced I had this on Blu-ray. Right. <laughs> because this this is one of my uh, top movies, actually, out of all the, you know, the Romero dead films. Mm. So I went through my collection and sure enough, I don't have it on, on Blu-ray. Ah, uh, that sucks. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was I I have to recon reconcile that because it's um the Blu-ray that Scream Factory did. It's got a lot of cool stuff on it. Yeah, that's the one I have. Uh, Scream Factory. I mean, it's it's still available, listeners. Thank God, it's not one of those. I have to pay eighty five dollars for it on eBay discs. This movie should be highly available, and thank God it is. Uh, thankfully. Most of Romero's catalog is available. Uh, honestly, I think every single one of his films should be available, but, you know, some are not. Um, so, yeah, you should have no problem scoping out Day of the Dead, although I do feel like I will throw a number out there. 85 to 90 percent of the listeners have seen this movie. What do you think? Probably, yeah. I mean, it's it, – it, I, I would say most people have seen it. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, spoilers ahead, folks. <laughs> we're not treating this like a 2023 release uh we'll be talking openly about the uh day of the dead right mike yeah yeah there's no reason to every everyone's probably seen this movie exactly exactly i think my 8590 is even low um but yeah man this movie came out uh in the summer of 1985 uh it it's first showing oddly enough was on June 30th, 1985, at a theater in Hicksville, Long Island, New York, Mike. How about that? Um, and then it got wide release July 19th, 1985, for the rest of the country. Uh, the budget was somewhere between $3.5 and $4 million, and it did gross $34 million, which was uh, nothing to sneeze at. But I, I did learn in my research uh compared to night of the living dead and dawn this movie was a a bit of a financial disappointment which is interesting huh yes uh, i i think i have um some thoughts as to why maybe mm. you know okay I mean? yeah um yeah we'll get into that in a way this movie is the is the end of an of an era in in a couple of ways but uh yeah we'll, we'll we will get into that um, do a little bit about the cast, of course, as we do on the show. Before we do that, why do you think they debuted it in Hicksville, of all places? You know, when we go through movies from like the 70s and 80s, and then when we find the place where it premiered, if it's not like Manhattan or a major city, I literally have no idea why it's in the places it's in, Mike. Like I don't know. Like yeah. you know. Like, have you ever, have you ever been to Hicksville? Probably a reason. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been to Hicksville, Long Island? I have. I, I've played there with a yeah. human, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah There's yeah. not much. It's just kind of like this random suburban town, man. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I I know I've played there uh, with a human, and maybe even the Last Stand. So yeah, exactly. Random. 
But props to you, Long Island. One of the uh, one of the many cool factoids about Long Island. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this stars uh, Laurie Cardiel Cardiel as Dr. Sarah Bowman. Little aside about Laurie Cardiel, she is the daughter. Uh, well, her dad is Bill Cardiel, who is uh, in Night of the Living Dead. He was one of uh, you know Romero's buddies. Oh yeah, pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bill Cardiel is uh, the the TV, not the TV news anchor. He's like, uh, he, he's one of the guys who kind of, he, he works for the, the TV network and he's on camera. I think uh, maybe it's towards the end of the, of the movie. I can't really think right now, but yeah, he's a part of that, you know, Pittsburgh crew of Romero's. So this is uh, his daughter, Lori. Uh, Joe Pilato as uh, Captain Henry Rhodes. Uh, Terry, Terry Alexander as John Flyboy, the group's helicopter pilot. Side note, uh, there was a Flyboy in Dawn of the Dead, right, Mike? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's yeah. right. They kept they kept that going with the the third installment, which I thought was cool. Uh, Jarlaf Conroy as Bill McDermott, Richard Liberty as Doctor Matthew Frankenstein Logan, <laughs> the uh, the mad scientist. Uh, Anthony DeLeo as Private Miguel Salazar, uh, Sherman Howard as Bub. Interesting factoid. He's Howard Sherman in the movie. However, when you look him up now, he is Sherman Howard. Like all of his credits and everything and his he has a Wikipedia. He went on to do a, a ton of other shit. He's credited in the movie as Howard Sherman, but I believe his name is Sherman Howard. Anyway, uh, Gary Howard Kalar as Private Steele, one of, one of my favorite characters in the movie. And uh, Ralph Marrero as uh, one of Rhodes' men, Private Rickles. And, very important, uh, Greg Nicotero yep. as Private Johnson. And Tasso Cervakis as Private Juan Torres. Uh, both Tasso and Nicotero uh, went on to uh, quite a bit of special effects fame, Mike. Huh? Well, yeah, Nicotero, uh, mo- you know, probably most notably... You know, Walking Dead, uh, mm-hmm. The Mist, you know, yeah, Bob and all that stuff. Uh, but Tasso is a stunt guy. He was in, he's in Dawn of the Dead, he's in Night Riders and Day of the Dead. And I always remember, I always remembered his name associated with Savini. Uh, he, he worked with Savini a lot in other films as well. But these are their, uh, their meager beginnings. So it's pretty cool to see them in this movie. Um, as I mentioned before, it, it's a little bit of the end of an era. This is kind of the last movie for Romero where he has this kind of whole Pennsylvania Pittsburgh crew thing happening, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, um, yeah, after this, it kind of became, well, after this land of the dead, it was like a major, um, like right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's a whole other ball game and, and, you know, like the other movies he would go on to do, I, he kind of didn't really work with a lot of his, you know, I don't think he worked with his, his crew of old connected to the Night of the Living Dead people as much anymore, you know, is yeah. what I'm getting at. Right. Um, yeah, this movie uh, shot largely two states, uh, Pennsylvania and Florida. It's funny. I couldn't remember if if they indeed shot in Florida because the movie t- takes place in Florida. But yes, all the uh, outside shots are in fact Florida, which is great. Uh, but all that interior stuff, um, you know, like the, the, the you know, the, the mine and the, you know, 
the whole kind of like silo and all that, that's uh, that's in PA. I could see that because, uh, you know, cheaper, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, they shot that in, in Wampum, Pennsylvania. And in Florida, it was Fort Myers and in Sanibel. So, yeah. Um, cool thing about this movie is that if you watch Night of the Living Dead and then Dawn of the Dead and then this, you see the realization of the makeup, right? Like you see, look, Dawn is is my favorite, but the makeup is not, it's not what it could have been. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like some of the faces and like, it's, it's not a hundred percent. Like I almost feel like, although again, it is a personal favorite. I feel like by the time George gets to day of the dead, I think the zombies have that, that look to them. You know what I'm saying? While again, look, it's 1985 practical makeup, which it, it could progress more. But I do think this is where I feel like in his own head, he, he might've been really satisfied because I do know that this is his favorite zombie movie of his zombie movies, Mike. Really? It's, uh, yes. Yeah. This one rates really high with me too. And, um, mm-hmm. and once again, that's why I'm surprised I never, I mean, now, I mean, I ordered it now, but, but the, uh, I'm surprised I didn't have this in my collection actually. Hmm. I'll summation. Uh, it is a post-apocalyptic horror zombie film, of course, written directed by George Romero, produced by Richard Rubenstein. It is, as I said, the third installment in the Night of the Living Dead series. Um, yeah, it largely takes place in an in underground bunker in Florida uh, with some scientists and doctors and the military where they determine the outcome of humanity's conflict with the undead horde. Uh, Romero himself described it as a tragedy about how a lack of human communication causes collapse and chaos, even in a small slice of society. So I feel like with Night of the Living Dead, right, it's uh, it's about racism, honestly. Uh, a lot of it is about racism, okay? Dawn of the Dead, to me, if, if you put a word to it, it's about consumerism, okay? Mass consumerism. This movie... It's funny how in some of the research I did and the documentary I watched, they kept kind of going back to the lack of human communication and the mistrust of government. Okay, but I also feel like this movie is a a child of the year it came out in. It's 1985. It's Reagan America. I feel like there is a nuclear cloud over this movie. No pun intended. And I feel like there is just a sense of that mid-80s nihilism in this movie. What do you think, Mike? Oh, absolutely. And um, it just, I feel like this, in a way, was the scariest out of the first, the trilogy. Yeah. The, first, the first trilogy. Like, I, we, we were saying before we started how, for 1985, this was an extreme movie, I thought. Mm. You know? Yes, um, it's it like it's hard to, to really hammer that in now, because if you're seeing it now in 2023 eyes, yes, there are some fucking gross over the top scenes. But again, you know, makeup has moved, you know, progressed and special effects have progressed. But if you saw this then or even if you saw this three years later, 
it was the creme de la creme of practical effects in a way, you know, like for a zombie film. And it's very bloody. And there's a lot of death and there's a lot of violence, a lot of killing. So, yeah, this this was considered extreme horror. I remember looking at my friends and brothers Fangorias when this came out and it was like, holy shit. You know, yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Um, and once again, <laughs> I can't confirm if I saw this in the movie theater or on VHS. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. I just cannot. I cannot remember. Mm. Well, I'll say this. Okay. It's funny, before we, we got the ball rolling, I told Mike that I had a story I would share. Now, over the years, I, I've said on the show many times that before I became a fan of horror as, as a, a young man, I was afraid of horror movies, okay? And this came out, I remember it very well, in the summer of 1985. I was uh, 12, and I had just, just turned 12. And I was staying at my aunt's house, and you know, you ever have a cousin who's not really your cousin, but yes. he's related, but he, but he or she is related to say the other side of the family. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the non-blood, right? Okay. Yeah. My aunt was my blood side. The uncle was the non-blood side. Uh, this cousin was on the uncle's side. So I was hanging out with, uh, one of my cousins and his friends in Gravesend, Brooklyn. And they're I, like, I, I, used live, I used to live in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Yes, so did I. <laughs> exactly. And they were like, let's go to the movies. This was a, I believe, a Saturday afternoon in the summertime. Like, okay, yeah, you know. And they all were like, let's go see Day of the Dead. Let's go see Day of the Dead. And it is decided that we're going to see Day of the Dead. Guess who didn't go with them to go see Day of the Dead? You didn't go. I didn't go. Do you know why I didn't go? Because I was a fucking horrified by the thought of having to see this movie in the theater at age 12. I had just kind of dipped my toes in horror movies on TV around this time. Okay. I was no longer kind of afraid of maybe certain horror movies or at least the TV versions of horror movies. But I knew this was a zombie movie. I, I saw the, the ad, you know, in, in the newspaper, which was probably the post of the Daily News. I knew it was rated R. I knew we would have to sneak in, which was fine, you know. Um, I had been sneaking in at that point to R-rated sex comedies. I mean, it wouldn't be a big deal to sneak into an R-rated movie um, at age 12. But, Mike, I believe I thought of every reason in the book even though, like I said, I was sleeping at my aunt's house. I was hanging out with my cousin literally that whole time. And I almost think he knew in my face that I didn't want to go, like why I didn't want to go. And again, we're a bunch of 12-year-olds, you know. And ultimately, it was like, okay, Mike, um, we'll, you know, we'll see you later when we get back or something. <laughs> so I didn't go. Yeah, but. You know, at that age, honest, and, and also 1985, like, I, I'm yeah. going to make another uh, musical analogy. Like, like, uh, yeah, there were slasher movies, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But this is like, like, the like Night of the Living Dead, or in this case, um, Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. It's like going from, like, Iron Maiden to Slayer. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like going from Iron Maiden to 85 Bathory, which, which yeah. if you were doing that, 
um, you were some underground motherfucker. Um, but what is funny, it's funny that you said Slayer. Guess who was already listening to Slayer? You. Me. But I was, I was just, I don't know, man. I just had this something in my brain about seeing that kind of violence or horror that changed maybe months later uh, because I do remember by Christmas of 85 watching with all my buddies Silent Night, Deadly Night on VHS that Christmas and enjoying it, you know? But maybe it was just a little too soon. Yeah. Um, wow. It sucks because, it, you know what? You know, that would have been my first like horror movie in a theater so <laughs> so i have cool. a story it's just not a it's not the story i want it to be but at least i have a day of the dead story <laughs> well you, you know my origin story with horror yeah, films so, yeah uh, so I, it was yeah. i was already like you know that was it was too late for me to go back <laughs> you know what i mean so <laughs> but i guess 12 look 12 now is like young you know with with the way children are raised i feel like these days to a degree um although uh, horror movies to a 12 year old now are probably a walk in the park um they were not a walk in the park in the 80s listeners horror movies were you weren't cool for being a horror head you know what i'm saying as a young man in the 80s right mike yeah people thought that you were some kind of weird degenerate or something <laughs> if you're into it for sure Right, exactly, exactly. So, no Day of the Dead for me at, at the movie theater. But uh, I believe I saw it maybe two years later, probably sometime in 87 on VHS and, you know, in the comfort of my home. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, as Mike was saying, pretty extreme stuff. Um, now, like, do you, you were saying you, you rate this pretty high among the three films. Um, and the movie initially didn't do what it, you know, what they wanted it to do. And you were saying you, you have a bit more, a bit more to say on that. Yeah. I think that, uh, the movie, I was commenting on how extreme it was. Hmm. I think that a lot of people might've found this movie kind of distasteful in a lot of ways. If you think mm -hmm. about it for in, in 1985, mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing the military um, in a in a negative light, really, in this film. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Basically, everyone in this movie is out of control. Even the doctor, the scientist. Yes. He's a mad scientist. He's experimenting on people. He's you 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 don't even know if he even knows what the hell he's doing, you know. And you know, it, you're 100 percent right. It's a, it's it's really ahead of its time with its distrust. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which Romero talks about in in the documentary extra. It's, I mean, goddamn, what a, what a smart, awesome fucking guy Romero was. God rest his soul. Um, he really had something to say in every fucking thing he did, and he has something to say here. Not only do you dislike the military and not trust the military in this movie, you dislike and distrust science in this movie, right? Yeah, you, nothing, everything's upside down. And, you know, and, and the military are demonstrating very, very good, very well demonstrating a term that would come into our consciousness decades later called toxic masculinity. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to say the least, um, Joe Pilato, who plays Henry Rhodes, 
uh, Captain Henry Rhodes. I mean, he's he's really over the top in this movie. He's a total unlikable, miserable scumbag military leader. Um, you know, uh, reading some reviews that are saying there's a lot of overacting in this movie. Look, maybe it is a bit over, bit of overacting scenery chewing in this film, but I feel like he really hammers the point home. And so does Steele. He's another total scumbag military guy played by uh, Gary Howard Kolar. Um, um, there's a lot of unlikable scumbag men in this film, Mike, right? Yeah, and also, uh, you know, the intentional uh, addition of the sole female character in this movie mm. with uh, Dr. Sarah Bowman. Now, yeah. remember, I... This this on this viewing, I started thinking about uh, you know twenty eight days later how the mm-hmm. military, you know um, the the guy who looks like Ray Fiennes that uh, that actually plays the the British military guy. Yes, yes. He's uh commenting about how one of his men killed himself because there was no women around, and that's like the whole thing. He's promising like his men women, and it's like at the end of the world, all male and one female must have been driving these guys fucking insane and the fact that yeah that bowman that her the guy that she was with was like such a a, just a fucking mess too man Mm. that it was you were moments away from a complete rebellion at all times in this movie it felt like you know what did not dawn on me at all is that the other doctor uh Dr. Ted Fisher, the tech technician guy, the, yeah. the mild-mannered guy, is played by actor John Amplis. John Amplis is Martin from George Romero's Martin. That like, did not, I didn't even... Didn't dawn unrecognizable, yeah, yeah. Unrecognizable in this movie. Like, I, like, he has a look, that guy, Martin, but that look, like, he has, like, a mustache. Like, he looks really different in this movie to me. Like, completely unrecognizable but again a part of that crew about part of that pennsylvania pittsburgh crew of friends and people that romero worked with that that to me was just i don't know something really really special about that right you know Uh, a bond that he built in the in the 60s that lasted into the 80s mid 80s which is is just so fucking cool but yeah um the only likable men in this movie are uh, Flyboy John, played by Terry Alexander, the helicopter pilot, and the alcoholic radio operator uh, uh, Bill McDermott, played yeah. by F. Conroy, and, and Bowman, um, Doctor Bowman too. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 right, exactly, yes, yes. But the thing is, I I feel like again, I I think he wanted Romero wanted to hammer this point home about authority, and. I think it was a product of its time, 1985. Like, um, we were under threat in a, in a way of nuclear annihilation, right? Uh, this is, you know, uh, a, a year or so after the day after has come out, and our Russian relations are are not 100% great. Uh, they're actually far worse than they, you know, now they're much worse. Uh, but back then it was like, you know, people thought about nuclear war a lot in 1985, you know? Sure. Um, and the, but the military thing, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I maybe it's, it's kind of 
out of my head right now where we were militarily in 1985. I'm sure we were in some kind of conflict, right? Well, there was a lot of nationalism in the in the 80s. Yeah, across oh, yeah, yeah. across the board. You know what I mean? There was mm-hmm. like, um, you know, like a lot of like nationalism. So this movie, in a lot of ways, reminded me of Apocalypse Now. You know how like mm-hmm. the military is like. You know, we default and we think about the military as being this like completely organized, you know, very deliberate sort of uh, operation. But in Apocalypse Now, you see how just out of control and insane everything was. And, you know, people that, you know, that, you know, we know you and I both know people who served in the 90s, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and after that, too. And the stories they have about how just how fucking war is chaos, really. Yeah, it, 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 this is making me realize something. So for the younger listeners, the older listeners will recall this. There, there was a huge military war movie boom between, you know, 80 and 85, 86, um, which was a combination of a bunch of Vietnam movies. And honestly, the success of First Blood with Sylvester Stallone and Rambo. And this movie has a little bit of a, a little bit of that runoff, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but but they they he fucks with it though because it's like yes, he does. The military does. guys are are one of the villains actually. Yes, there's nothing cool. There's nothing cool about these guys. You don't you don't like them. Yeah, they're, um, they're very rapey. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're very like uh, on the verge of just completely rebelling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then again, you have um, they call him Doctor Frankenstein, Doctor Logan. Yep who's yeah. hacking away at these bodies and we find out that he's actually feeding the dead soldiers to the, to the zombie bub. Yeah. He's using some of the guys who were killed as like subjects. Mm. And it's just super dark, you know? Yeah, it is really dark. It's, it is darker than Dawn of the Dead. It, it is in some ways darker than Night of the Living Dead. Although I feel like Night of the Living Dead is actually quite dark for 1968. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but this one is, I think it's, it's, it is the bleakest. Um, and it, I, I feel like it almost has, it has so much to say that goes over your head and definitely went over motherfuckers heads in 1985, Mike. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, a lot of these ideas are forming just last night when I rewatched it, when I was checking this out, I was like, yeah, yeah, man, this, this actually, some of this reminds me of apocalypse now in a weird way. Yeah. So, okay. Dawn of the Dead was was a big success, and it came out in 1978. And they wanted a sequel. And apparently, part of the the deal he made when he made Dawn was that there would be a sequel. However, um, he did a few things leading up to Day of the Dead that he wanted to do. In 1981, Romero does Night Riders, which is not a huge success, and he does the excellent Creep Show in 1982 which again does better than Knight Riders, but was not initially a huge success. Uh, that actually became a far bigger film on home video and became a farly more widely regarded film later on down the line, which brings him to the fall of 1984 when he finally films, you know, this third installment. Uh, what some may know or not know is that initially this film, Day of the Dead, was going to be what Romero wanted as the, you know, gone with the wind of zombie films. Uh, he wanted a $7 million budget, actually. 
and this was going to have a bunch of swamp scenes and sprawling like epic fight scenes that are outside of the military silo and a bunch more outdoor stuff and a bunch more Florida shot stuff uh, that did not come to pass. The budget was cut in half and the movie was agreed upon for about the $3.54 million instead of $7 million. Apparently, again, the, the initial film was going to be almost like a Raiders of the Lost Ark of Zombies, Mike. How about that? You know something? That's cool, but I like it better the way it turned out. Me too. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, I really do too. Uh, there's two, you know, physical places in this film. There's this. There's the beginning outside in the sunshine, and it ends in the sunshine briefly, but you know, most of the film, the majority of the film, is in a dark, depressing bunker, right? Yeah, and that that's kind of the thing. It's like the sunshine and the light is like where death is. That's where death lurks. Like if you're yeah. your top side, you're finished. You're not safe. Mm. The only safety is in this depressing subterranean <laughs> fucking pit that these people live in. And the, the I don't know why this particularly just depressed me, but there was um there's that room that they have their meetings in, yeah yeah, and the the folding chairs and this mm. fucking like just totally uh you know this room that just looks boring and dull yeah, but that's where you have to live. You're safe down there with no sunlight, no windows. You know, there's no just, windows. No, there's no windows. There's no sunlight. You're in darkness it, it, all the time. You know, it's darkness. It's it's white you know, slabs of, of brick or, or concrete and kind of like, you know, doctor's office lighting. And it is a bleak, claustrophobic film, um, you know. And yeah, it, it just it just works. Like, and again, I could see why it, it didn't do great then. It's kind of like the thing, you know. The thing was that small cast, there's no women in the film. There's there's not there are things that are just simply not in the thing. Okay, John Carpenter's the thing that made the critics of the day and and the public at large not enjoy it. But years later, reevaluation. This is one of the greatest horror films ever made. I don't think Day of the Dead may be one of the greatest horror films ever made. It is definitely one of the greatest zombie films, and it is one of Romero's. Uh, shiny examples of a great horror film. Um, and I could see why he, he enjoyed it a lot. You notice something else about this movie. George Romero was a progressive guy decades ahead of the curve. The hero of this film, once again, is a black man. You, you notice that, right? Yeah, 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 Flyboy. Yep. Yep. Um, but the thing is, the other thing uh, of note, is that there are, you know, a, a woman is the focal point of the film, which did not happen a lot in 1980s, you know, in 85 in particular. Um, and there are other minorities in this film. There's Latinos in this film. It's like, again, man, you, you George Romero, you, you really need to fucking give this man his credit. And I think he is actually finally getting his credit. But he was always ahead of his peers. Mike, do you think so? I thought so. I've I've always felt that way. I mean, I I've always held George Romero in like the highest regard, man. I I thought he was like one of the maestros of uh, just this whole genre, really. Yeah, he's smart, and you don't. I feel like you don't think of, or people may not think of him as being as smart as he was. You know, 
And he kind of hid things in his scripts and hid things in his storylines that I don't know if if Craven always did or Carpenter always did. You know, what do you, I don't know. I'm not not sliding Craven or Carpenter. I, I love both of them, but I think Romero was almost like this this classic liberal '60s guy who made horror films. <laughs> you know, yeah, you like, know, and, yeah. and he always. Even even in Night of the Living Dead, there was like this kind of anti-authoritarian, like uh, anti-conservative, like vibe to the films, you know. Which mm-hmm. I mean, for me, you know, I I appreciate that because I'm I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm not a conservative at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I do remember being like seeing this as a young kid, either in the theater or on VHS. I can't remember wh- if I saw it in the movies or I saw it on VHS, but. Uh, like when the when the army shows up, when you see the military guys, like you're mm. think, you're thinking about you know Rambo, they're heroes. Yes, there's that it's that era. Yes, I'm like I'm like these guys are like fucking evil, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like <laughs> yeah. I'm like these guys are good guys. You know, no, they're like they're, they're not like good very, guys. Yeah, they're, they're terrible people. Yeah, they're terrible. They're people, terrible like, people in an era where the military was beloved, actually in yeah. in film, in yep. film, okay, right. yeah. in film, and it was cool. To like American, you know, like military Rambo gun-toting people was was a very cool thing in the '80s. Uh, if you're of a certain age, you definitely recall this. Uh, Day of the Dead puts shoves that you know down the toilet, so to speak, you know. And the hero is is a woman, uh, a British alcoholic guy, and a black man. Those are the three heroes of this film. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love it. It's, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, you know what else I love? Bub. Bub to me, honestly, is almost like the, the zombie Bub played by Sherman Howard. I guess I'll call him Sherman Howard instead sure. of Howard Sherman. Um, he is the first like zombie char- character almost in in horror film history. No. Yeah, he is because prior to this, the zombies are just like these uh, shambling. Mm-hmm. eating killing machines really with fodder no, they're yeah, fodder. fodder yeah right but the the madness though is like the fact that logan believes that he's somehow you know c- communicating with this fucking thing you know what i mean mm. and it's like you like there are moments when you're like oh he actually is communicating with him you know there, right there is like consciousness there but it's debatable whether or not any of that's even real you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's some of it is like, okay, wow, I can't believe Bub did that. But in reality, it's not even, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah, yeah, the totally. things he does are based on the memory of the human being. Like, it's not, he's not, you know, uh, fully verbalizing. He's not fully communicating. He's not not eating flesh. He's still a zombie. He's still a monster, you know, it's, but I love that you, you know, Romero gave him life, quote unquote, you know, he gave him like an attitude and it, it's just like a cool character, Bub, like you, you don't want to see Bub die. Bub does not die. Uh, we don't know what happens to Bub, but he, he lives and the, the movie is over. Um, and all of the fucking horrendous military people in this particular film get their just deserved, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I thought it was interesting how, you know, they refer to Logan as Frankenstein, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe as a kid, I was thinking more like Bub B, 
being like the the monster, you know. But mm-hmm. as time that 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 analogy doesn't really hold up because like you know Mary Shelley's book, you know there, there's like a, a you know the the monster hates Frankenstein. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because he you know did the guy never in, the Frankenstein's monster never asked to be brought into the world. You know what I mean? And so yeah. there's a big conflict between the two. But in this one, I, I just thought it was interesting how they're trying to play up the sympathy for Bub. But at the end of the day, he's a fucking monster, though. You know? Oh, no, totally. Um, I, I talked a bit about how much the movie made back then. The issue is that in America, in America it was a bomb. Uh, it made only under $6 million in America for a 3.54 budget. It did very well internationally it made over 28 million dollars outside of, of the u.s so that's how the whole total take was you know 34 million but again dawn and uh, the living dead made a lot more than that and were better reviewed it's funny looking you know looking at the reviews of this film from back then everyone's harping on the acting <laughs> you know overacting and acting is not as good and unimpressive and Roger Ebert is like, you know, there's a lot of overacting in the film. He only gave it a, like a, a one and a half out of four. And New York Times, uh, you know, didn't give it a good review. But again, you know, like many horror films from the 80s, uh, The Thing and Halloween 3 in particular, uh, this film is, is looked way more fondly upon now. And people see the things that Mike and I are talking about now, right, Mike? I mean, they yeah. see all these messages and, and what Romero was trying to convey, which was absolutely lost on people as, as they're kind of living in the fucking heady consumerist American loving 1985, you know? Yeah. And also there's really, there's no humor in this movie at all. It's like a completely dark, bleak film. Um, the humor is, I wouldn't say it's unintentional, but you're you're laughing mm-hmm. at just the savagery of the, um, you know, the the situational savagery of the military guys. Like some of the things they say, yeah, it's kind of funny, but in this kind of gallows way. You know what I mean? Right. And, and uh, the, the, they're racist and they're sexist. Oh yeah. And yeah. You know, it's definitely '80s, quote unquote. It gets it gets a little over the top. Um, for a, maybe a young person who, who would see it now, they might be a little shocked by some of the things that come out of the mouths of the actors, but that was 1985. Um, honestly, I, uh, part of me feels like Laurie Cardiel is the best actor in the film. Um, uh, definitely the best character in the film and the most, you know, you're fucking rooting for her. Um, I think she did a, a, a great job. What about you? Yeah, no, she, she was definitely probably as far as like, acting ability the best actor in the film no doubt yeah that, you know yeah she had done some stage stuff and you know i mean again it's like romero in his earlier films always had this kind of like ragtag group of, of people that were a mix of you know pittsburgh or pennsylvania area stage people or you know small actors or new actors or you know again there's a a little bit of nepotism with Laurie Cardiel, but again, she fucking, I think, knocked it out of the park in this. Um, but I don't know. I always feel like that just kind of adds to the charm uh, of these Romero uh, movies, uh, which you don't always hear about, um, you know, 
like I, I I've never really heard much about like if Craven had a group like this or, or you know John Carpenter did. I know John Carpenter definitely worked with certain people uh, more than once, but I feel like Romero was almost kind of known for having you know this like family quote unquote of people that he always worked with, which to me is just a cool thing. Just real quick, uh, Joe Pilato passed away. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have a, a great Horicon memory of him. One of the first Horicons I ever went to was a, a Fangoria one in Manhattan. And he was there. And I just ever just have a memory that just stays in your head for no reason at all. Sure. Um, and this memory is because I went to this one by myself. And Joe Pilato's just outside having a cigarette when I'm leaving. When I'm leaving the con, he's outside. He's by himself. He smoked a cigarette. I might have gave him a head nod, gave me a head nod. And I just have that memory for the for the last 20 something years in my head, you know, of Joe Pilato <laughs> from day to day. And he seemed like, you know, nice, cool guy. And it's just one of those weird things that just kind of stayed with me that like I remember Joe Pilato outside the, the I think the, the New Yorker Hotel. I can't remember what hotel it was. It was in 98 or 99. And uh, yeah, man. I mean, he, you know, he always had people fucking wanting his autograph, like you know, beloved character actor guy. He has like five names too. <laughs> There's like uh, huh? also, also uh, other names included uh, Joseph Plato, hmm. uh, Joe Pilot, interesting, um, Joey Powell, and then uh -huh. Joseph Rhodes. Mike, maybe he was avoiding the tax man. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. I love like when I like people it. have different I names. tell you, the more names you have, I think the more I like it. Let's be, you know, you know, like in, in the hardcore scene, uh, growing up kids in the 80s and 90s, there were people with nicknames. You didn't even know their real names. You might not have, you might have gone your whole time of show going and not even known somebody's real name. You just knew their nickname. You know, yeah, yeah. which is not cool, right, Mike? That is kind of funny. It's kind of cool. You can be anonymous that way, you know? Yeah. It's like you couldn't pay me to know somebody's name, but I know their nickname, and I know the name they told me was their name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this, you know, again, went on to get a lot more love a little later down the line. It finally comes out on DVD in 1998. Um I think it was, yeah, it was Anchor Bay and VHS in the late 90s. And then it was out of print for a little while. Uh, cut to the later in the O's. Arrow put it out as a 25th anniversary Blu-ray in the UK. But Shout Factory put it out to the masses in 2013. And has they've had it on lock ever since, which is a good thing, you know. Um, I think this movie also, you know, it, its stamp is kind of like, you see it in other places, you know. Like, I feel like... The bunker thing and the military thing, uh, whenever you see that in anything zombie-related, it fucking came from this movie, no? Yeah, it created a lot of tropes that ended up being reused, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that's what I was trying to get out with, um, you know, with uh, the, the Last of Us. Like, I, like not, not so much directly from this film, but I, I, I go back to that first episode, the science guys in the beginning on the show. Yes, I just like, yes. It's like so fucking cool and Romero-esque you know and I feel like um yeah just having the scientist in here like trying to figure out what the hell is going on like you know I don't know 
Um, on ministry, uh, track Burning Inside, there is uh, a Day of the Dead sample in that song, apparently, uh, mixed in with the synthesized uh, music, apparently. Huh. Uh, that's something I did not know till uh, recently. Um, and, of course, uh, on, on the, the Michael Graves era Misfits, their 1997 debut, American Psycho, there's a song called Day of the Dead. Uh, Bub makes an appearance in The Walking Dead, Mike, in season three or season four. Huh. I actually remember that. There's a zombie that literally looks exactly like him in, in season four, and it's it's a nod to Day of the Dead. Um, so, yeah, uh, in Stranger Things season three, they're going to sneak into a theater to see Day of the Dead because it's the summer of 1985. Season three is Stranger Things. Um, yeah, man, this this movie has has definitely left its mark. It's also been sampled by My Life of the Thrill Kill Cult. Um, you know, maybe didn't get a lot of love in its heyday, but as time went on, it, it is it is a classic. Would you say? Hundred percent, man. I mean, like I said, this is like one of my most highly regarded zombie movies. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny, man. I don't think I ever saw the 2005 prequel day of the dead Two: contagion did you see that movie no i did not no i never heard a good thing about it uh then in 2008 sure enough there's a day of the dead that went straight to dvd didn't see that <laughs> and there's uh, there wasn't there was a tv thing on sci-fi did you oh, watch that? i had even i didn't even know that existed actually yes um, well, I don't. Well, it's funny. Wikipedia says that it came out in 2021. Did that happen? I mean, I, I don't know. Listeners, keep us in check on that one. Um, apparently, at some point, also in 2021, July 2021, it was announced that Lori Cardillo, Terry Alexander, and Jarlath Conroy, the three heroes, uh, are all going to be in Night of the Living Dead 2. What? Which was supposed to have come out in 2022? Who? I don't know. What's what's fucked up about, I think, a lot of this when it comes to the day, dawn of the dead shit, I think it's in the hands of a bunch of different owners, you know? Um, and I don't know if, the, if, if whoever George left in his legacy, you know, his estate, like... I feel like it's in a bunch of different hands and a bunch of announcements gets thrown, get thrown around Mike. And a lot of the shit didn't come to fruition. Some of it did, but some of it is just absolute news to me, you know? Yeah. I haven't heard of the TV thing. And, uh, you know, it's funny every now and then I, I think about checking out contagion, you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, maybe I'll watch that at some point soon, but, uh, yeah. cause it, it is a cool idea to, to know the, how they ended up in the bunker Mm -hmm. You know, I, I actually, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about Rhodes last night when mm -hmm. I was watching this. I, this my, my, my impression is that he was not the original commanding officer. Uh-huh. You know okay. what I mean? Like, like uh, you know, obviously there's only like four guys left at that point. Oh, well, no, he wasn't. If you, if you recall, he wasn't. The, the guy was, the, there was a guy before him who died. Okay. And he was one of the guys that Frankenstein was and kept some of his body parts and kept okay. some of his brain. All right. Yeah. So that, there was someone right, before so that, yes. That's no yeah. revelation then. Because that. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But, there, there was another guy. Another, but even, uh, even that is fascinating, really, when you mm. think about it. It's like he's a guy who probably was never really meant to lead anyone. 
yet then he finds himself in this leadership position and uh and just you know it's fucking lack of character and insanity and just shit yeah. crazy and it makes you think like makes you wonder if the original commander if he had actually been like a you know a real leader if any of the things would have happened like if if uh you know maybe logan wouldn't got got out of hand you know, right maybe they would have been able to keep kept you know kept it together for a while you know uh yeah his name was major cooper um and he was one of the, you know, the, the dead soldiers that uh, Dr. Logan, Doc, a.k.a. Doc Frankenstein, was kind of keeping the remains around and, you know, to do his experiments with. Um, and I do remember a line movie that said that Major Cooper was might not have been, you know, a walk in. He was like a walk in the park compared to Rhodes, even though he himself wasn't. So he was a bit of a hard ass and, you know, but he wasn't anything near like captain Rhodes was so yeah, somehow that slipped by there. me i guess so, like, by, yeah yeah in a way i guess but yeah it's just such an interesting plot element you know i just like how the helicopter played plays this interesting role in dawn and in day of the dead and there's two flyboys and they, they you know both end with you know a, a helicopter escape of sorts this movie ends maybe a bit too abruptly for me with uh, uh, an island scene where it's just the three of them and, and it's peaceful and there are no zombies on the island and you like to think they at least lived out their last days with some peace and like who knows what happened to them you know that that's that's but that's like that's Romero's style though you know what I'm saying like that's that's kind of like how he likes to end movies would you say yeah yeah there's like a little well except for Night of the Living Dead. We, oh yeah that's a bit that, more of a yeah that that was a real downer ending downer right? yes yeah. yes yes totally obviously uh yeah that's the bleakest ending of the three hundred percent night of the living dead um but this one in a way is is the most violent and it's it's kind of it's you know the darkest um and what what are you giving day of the dead on our scale of one to five? Oh, clearly this gets a five out of five for me it gets a five out of five for me. Honestly, look, all three movies to me are five out of fives, sure. you know, yep. night, dawn, and day. Although I think in my head, I, I change where I rank them, you know, from time to time, personally. Like, I have a hard time sometimes picking a favorite. Usually the favorite is dawn, though, as a person. It's like that might be my personal number one. But I do think all five are like, all three are super important. You know, I I agree. Like these are the you know the beginning of modern zombie filmmaking, really. Yeah, and you know, look, man, a lot of people copped from from Romero. Let's you know, there's no no, no beating around that bush. Um, but you know, he, he's a great person to cop from. <laughs> he, he laid he laid quite a foundation here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that lives on to this day. I mean. You know, The Last of Us, as different as it is from Walking Dead and the Romero stuff, the Romero stuff is fucking there. I mean, we, we've already mentioned it, you know. Um, and how many directors can have that as, as their legacy? Not many, you know. No, no, not at all. And uh, yeah. yeah. Amen. I, I wonder what's going to happen on uh, The Last of Us tonight. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So yeah, listeners, do you think are we marks? Are we stands for the Last of Us? Do you think? What do you think? I think we are. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I feel like all, all this ties into Romero. Even you know, Brian Keene's zombie novels tie into Romero. There's none of this without him, and he's such an important guy. And for fuck's sake, if you have not seen Day of the Dead, you need to see Day of the Dead. You know, come on, get with the program. Um, so yeah, this was fun, Mike. Watch, uh, watch all three of these, man. Like it'll be a nice yeah. little, nice little evening for yourself. One, 100 percent. Uh, we're going to be getting into some new stuff, you know, as the year rolls out. Again, it's early in the year, and it's always fun to talk about classics especially ones that we have just, you know, in the course of our near decade, just not gotten to, right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been covering a lot of new stuff, so it's it's good to go back and do something a little older, you know? No, totally. Um, I got to see a really cool uh, trailer today, uh, Stephen King's The Boogeyman film coming oh, out. Oh, man, yeah, I got to check that out. Uh, it was a real short trailer that didn't show you the whole movie, but it had a very nice scare in it. So, uh, yeah, look, look out for that trailer online, listeners. I'm sure some of you might have seen it already. I'm excited for that. I remember reading that short story. It's in Night Shift. So uh, I'm, I'm stoked for that. Uh, side note, uh, the Boogeyman short story that's in Night Shift, Mike, was originally in the magazine Cavalier, which I believe was a porno magazine. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Actually, that's common, man. That was like a thing. Super common, yes. Yeah. The, um, uh, among the like early King stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and a lot of early horror writers. I mean, look, this, it, again, horror for a while was not what it is. <laughs> you know, um, it was for the freaks and the geeks and the weirdos. So we, we, we have to praise our Kings and our Romeros for <laughs> getting it out there to the do masses. You think, uh, do you think they, they printed. Uh, horror fiction in jugs magazine <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean i probably not jugs but it was in certain ones that had more than porn in them i mean there was shit in penthouse and playboy and it just back in the 70s it was just a, a weird time you know no internet there's no mass market horror fiction hasn't even happened yet so this it was what it was. <laughs> oh man, I got I have to look up, um, you know, guys like Ramsey Campbell and stuff like that. And see if mm-hmm. like originally uh, his story appeared in like uh, you know Jugs magazine's <laughs> gallery or something. But do think like about that. it. Like H.P. Lovecraft and Robert Block <laughs> were in the equivalent of like zines that ten dudes read. I mean, that's what they were in. They were in like nothing at first. You know, yeah, like no, that's true. Yeah. It's it was small potatoes, man. It was it was you know, it was a, a bit of a, a climb, and uh, now we have the horror that we enjoy today. All right, listeners, uh, we will see you next time. Like I said, this one was a lot of fun. I hope it was fun for you, and uh, Mike, we will chat soon. Take care, everyone. Take care.